I hope. I mean, I, I feel like if people want to know me, if they want to understand at all what I'm about, it's my yeah. photography, not my not my acting, mm-hmm. and not even my direct. To the Sean's Quest Society podcast with your hosts, myself, Penny, Cindy, Dame Madonna, and Doris. Invite you to share our love and enthusiasm for all things Sean Cassidy, from his teen idol days to his recent adventure back on the road again. Please join us for our stories and memories that connected us to those happy days that helped create the Sean's Quest Society podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Sean Squad Society podcast. We are so thrilled today to introduce our special guest, aren't we girls? We've been waiting for today and we are so excited for this. He is a familiar face and everybody watched him as Frank Hardy from the Hardy Boys. And you also could have catch him running around on the beach in his red shorts as a lifeguard on Baywatch back in the day. Remember that show? That was a fun show. And his recent role was as Louis Osmond in the Greenhouse Academy that's airing currently on Netflix. You can catch that one. And additionally, he does take great pride in his photography work. He has a photography website called Shadowworks. You might want to check that website out, see all of his great photography. And lastly, you may have had him on your wall back in the day next to your other Teen Idol posters. And I'm talking about none other than Parker Stevenson. We are so excited you are on our show. Welcome to the Sean Squad Society podcast, Parker. Yay. Welcome, Parker. Welcome. Oh, I thank you. I'm glad to be here. Hi, Parker. We are so excited that you have made time to talk with us today. And you know, we've all been following you on your social media pages. And it looks like you've been busy lately. You've attended a few fan shows like the Hollywood show and the Night of Dreams with Jimmy and Christy McNichol. And it sounded like I was reading on your social. It sounded like it was a really good time, like they were both fun. And I thought I'd just ask you real quickly if uh, you had anything you wanted to share about that. I'm sure you probably had a great time. I had a good time at both. I haven't, I haven't done those kind of appearances in a long time. Just because of the pandemic and the industry being shut down and the strike and all that stuff, I've just been kind of doing my own thing. And I haven't done the L.A. show, autograph show, in in a bunch of years. You know, I got to, like Pamela Sue Martin, who I'm I'm as close with as Sean. Well, Pam was at that show, so she and I were together at that show. And then then she came home with me, and she spent the night before she flew out, and I get all that time. And, I mean, those are great experiences that That kind of come about only because of a connection like that. Yeah, I saw her picture. I saw Uh, you post the picture of her. That was very nice. Oh, so she's so great. Pam's so fun. And I've had a similar, my relationship with her goes back even farther than with Sean, because I did a movie with Pamela two years, maybe three years before Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew. So we we go way back, and we've just always had a really, really great, easy friendship. So those things are are nice surprises. Good things can come out of those, those, you know, events. Those long friendships, yeah. Really, really nice. Just like us. The fans love them, Parker. They love when you guys come out and you interact and connect with us. And 
it is really as much as it is for you. It, it means that much to us. Oh, great. Definitely. Yeah, next yeah. time you're in Chicago, we're going to be there. I will. Yes. I love Chicago. I'm and I've fine. done that Chicago show, and it's really fun. Oh, yeah. It's a morning show there that I really like. When's the next one? <laughs> we want to get a ticket now. <laughs> we're there. I don't know. I don't I know found when out about that Chicago show after you were here. Yeah. I yes. saw like a, uh, a thing on our, our local news that. They were yeah, saying, WGN. this week on, mm-hmm. on WGN News, we have Parker Stevenson. I'm like, you have who, where? Right. <laughs> we were all going to that. We were like, like wait, wait a minute. Just, How did I not know this? Just like we missed Sean on Oprah, right? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. We were so mad we missed Sean on Oprah. <laughs> oh, um, One of my questions is, and I have like a couple, if you don't mind. What is your favorite episode of the Hardy Boys and Baywatch? Hmm. Well, I love actually. I, I would say I love the pilots of both, uh, the Baywatch pilot because it was a two-hour, and it was a little more complicated and dramatic than than the regular episodes, and the Hardy Boys pilot because it it really the whole show was kind of born in the process of doing a, a twenty-four-hour shoot, which was a kind of a trailer for the network to buy the show, which they did, and then. In the interim between that 24-hour shoot and putting together the rest of the episode, the show really kind of became, it came into its own. That's when they, they realized what the show could be. Well, that's really interesting. I don't think I read that. Well, I have heard about that first yeah. recording. That took a long time. Was that the one about the... Um, the Dracula? Dracula, yes. The first episode um, that took you guys 24 hours to record. The sun started coming up and everything. <laughs> Was that the Dracula yeah, episode? Yeah. Yeah, it, it, and you know, it's the one that we were in our underwear riding around in motorcycles, oh. graveyard. <laughs> I did read that. <laughs> I remember that. I love that. And, and, uh, but the, what happened was there was an order. The executive producer, Glenn Larson, he got, he got approval to shoot for one day and put together a little trailer so the network could see what he was thinking about. And he shot for 24 hours. Sean says it was 25 hours. And he <laughs> might be right because I know the last shot of the day of the full 24 hour, 25 hour day, they put us in a grave in the graveyard and put a tarp over the top of us so that it would still look dark. And that's how we did the last shot. Cause the sun no, no. Came up. That yeah, is that, interesting. Yeah, so I got, nice. I, I got to know Sean really quickly. With lots of coffee, I might I add. Got, yeah. And two teen idols in the dark together. <laughs> yep. Oh, wow. Well, another question is, and I, I have your, sheet here of yeah. all the characters. Oh, wait, yeah. you didn't mention Baywatch. Your Baywatch? Baywatch episode, favorite yeah. Baywatch episode? Yeah, the pilot, Panic at Malibu Pier, which was the two-hour. Well, speak of and that. That's that oh. old Baywatch, yeah. Yeah. Well, speak of that. When I was looking at some of your photography, there's the um, a photo of the um, lifeguard huts. Is that mm-hmm. from Baywatch? No. Okay. But I I live where where we did Baywatch. So I, I'm at the beach all the time. Oh, nice. In Interesting. The, in the winter, they'll, they pull those towers back away from the beach to keep them away from the water in the winter storms, and they put them together. I think, I think you're, are you talking about three towers together? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, that's, what that, that's how that happens. They put them together during the winter to protect them. Wow, good. That's, neat. that's a neat story. Yeah. yeah. So another hmm. question is, like I said, your rap sheet of all the characters you've played, and you have played in many, many movies and miniseries and film and so what out of all of them was your favorite or do you even Mm -hmm. have one 
Um, you know, I do, I do have things that, you know, a, a lot of the work that we do as actors, you know, is work that comes along and, and we audition for it or if we're lucky we get an offer and, and off we go. And some turn out to be a lot more personal than others. And in a funny way, the miniseries North and South, which right. was very melodramatic and a big, you know, glamorous soap opera about the Civil War, became very personal because while I was making that, it was six months on location, I learned that my great-great-grandfather was commanding general at Gettysburg. Right. Oh. I saw and, that. I saw and, his picture. You saw his picture. He's a very funny-looking yes. guy. <laughs> He's a very funny-looking guy. Yeah. yeah. George Gordon Mead, and it turned out that he was a family member, and I grew up going to my grandparents' house, and it was a big portrait of him. It was just a scary guy in the staircase. But then, Until. then you know, learning that, suddenly it, it, wasn't, it wasn't long ago that my family members were in, in those battles and in that yeah. conflict. And suddenly, suddenly it became more than just, you know, doing a fluffy soap opera that's kind of fun. It suddenly was, oh, this is this actually has roots in something real and difficult and all that and personal. Yeah. So that's where it's, that's where a project can can really shift over sometimes. In a funny way, I probably the, the thing I just did called Greenhouse Academy, because I love the kids that were in the cast so much. There yeah. were seven or eight principal kids who were all so fun to work with and hardworking and talented and and I was kind of the figurehead, so I would. I was around all the time, but they were really doing the heavy lifting. But I really got to know those kids, and that I really felt like kind of an older mentor to them. I felt like I could help them in ways, That's awesome. whether it's the, dealing with production problems or dealing with personalities on the set. Or uh, I, I'm glad that I could be there and help out that way, not just come in and do lines and go. Yeah, that's great. Well, speak of your family name, Mead. I actually have a client, and I was framing some playbills for her a couple of months ago. Mm -hmm. And she actually has your mother's playbill. No way. Yes. Yes. Is that from Inherit the Wind? Yes, Inherit the Wind. She has the playbill from Inherit the Wind. And I probably framed like 25 different playbills for her. And it, it didn't really mean anything to me. Some of them I was familiar with. And then when I was um, doing some research and I saw that, I asked her, and she goes, oh, yeah, that's that's what it's from. And I'm like, oh, my God, I had no clue when I was doing this. That's so fun. So, yeah, yeah that's, that's really pretty fun. cool. Yeah. We usually do a six degrees right? on, on the show and yes. every episode, and that's kind of my six degrees, I guess. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. amazing. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. I really that cool. That was really cool. Yeah. But I do have another question real quick on your photography. And I know um, one of the other girls is going to go more in detail of that. But I saw that you had taken a picture. It looks like there, it's two pillars. And I want to say it's from 9-11, the 9-11 memorials. And it has a 903 in it, like as 9.03 a.m. Yeah. And yeah. was that? That's the Oklahoma City bombing. Oh, memorial. okay. Yeah. Because yeah. I have visited all of the... Um, 9-11 memorials and mm. I was at the flight 93 and I thought oh. Did, was that there because it just really stuck out to me that I had seen that but that's the Oklahoma bombing okay thank yeah. you for yeah. clarifying yeah. that yeah well you were really close on it that that is exactly I don't think I identify it as that's what it is oh. yes I remember uh, that day I just have the image but that's you, you were spot on 
That is exactly what that is. Thank you. Parker, I have questions. (laughs) She has questions. She always has questions. I've I've been waiting a little a little time. I won't say how many years, but a little time to ask you this first question. Um, yes. When I was a little girl, Parker, I would watch a lot of TV, and I saw you in a Prell shampoo commercial. You're standing there, <laughs> yeah. and you were in the shower, and you were washing your hair, and, and you said oh your hair God. was fluffy and puffy or something like that. His hair was and is <laughs> fluffy and puffy. And a few yeah. weeks later, maybe three months later or something, the Hardy Boys came on, and before I focused on the other character— Joe Hardy, I looked at Frank Hardy (laughs) and said, that's the guy from the Pro commercial (laughs) that was naked in the shower in my TV. I think in some interviews his hair is mentioned. Yes, it's mentioned in interviews. (laughs) Do do you remember that commercial? I I remember it well because I remember, I mean, that's how I I started doing commercials. I was in New York, you know, at 14 when I ran doing commercials. Um, and, and for a long time, I didn't get any, but, but okay, I was running around New York and that was fine. And then I started to get them and I get things like the Prell commercial or I did a spam commercial and a clear, I, I did over a hundred commercials and the Prell commercial stands out because when I went to show up to film the commercial, they looked at me and they went, Oh no, your hair mm-hmm. is much too fluffy. We need to dampen it down. <laughs> and, and and this this goes against truth in advertising. They took Vaseline and they put Vaseline in my hair wow, to make it so look funny. greasy, to make yeah. it all greasy and gross. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, I look different when they when they did the Prell, which is really strong shampoo, you know. Mm-hmm. But yes, yes. I, I I see those commercials now and then. People will send them to me, links and, on uh, YouTube and stuff, and they just crack me up. <laughs> I mean, I, I was not, I was not a model. I was not, I was just a goofy kid. <laughs> well, I was just trying to see if I could pull up the commercial, but I do have a question. I did read or hear on one of your interviews that your parents mm-hmm. let you move to New York at 14. Yes. Although there was a caveat. I was there staying uh, in a friend of theirs apartment because they would leave every summer. And they somehow, and my parents somehow trusted me to be on my own at 14 and run around the city and go to auditions. And that's really all I did. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't really doing anything wild and crazy. That just kind of wasn't in my wheelhouse. I would walk the city and I'd go to three or four meetings a day and uh, eat peanut butter and tuna fish and walk in the, the park actors and diet. go to museums. <laughs> the actor's <laughs> diet. The actor's diet. It is. It's totally it is. the actor's diet. Yeah. Yes. Or yeah. the Seafood Elvis diet, whichever way you <laughs> no. want to look at it. Elvis said bananas on his or something. Yeah. Well, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing because, you know, like when we were kids, 14 years old seemed so grown up. But in today's world, 14-year-olds, aren't even allowed to babysit, I don't think, you know. So I just can't picture little 14-year-old Parker roaming the streets of New York. I can. He was taking pictures. <laughs> I it, can see it. It was, yeah, I was taking pictures. Um, you know yeah. what? And I, I can't say I wasn't lonely, you know, doing that because I wasn't mm-hmm. social and I was uh, too shy to kind of, you know, reach out to people and stuff. I'd go really? and have my meetings and I'd do my auditions and i go back and I just kind of did my own thing. And then, and then I go to then I go to school during the school season, you know. But even sometimes holidays, I'd be in the city on my own, mm-hmm. and and I'm grateful. I mean, my parents 
I think because of my mother having been an actress, my father didn't approve of it, but I don't think he had a choice <laughs> in it. And I was able to pay for school. So I, I was independent. I did my own thing. And, and in that way, it was, it was a godsend. And I, I learned to have some independence. You know? well, absolutely. I, it makes you grow up fast. Yes. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm comfortable in my own company, you know, and that, that I think I learned in those teenage years, do my own thing. And that's probably where I got my appreciation for art and architecture and all that New York has. It's so amazing. As the kids today say, you do you. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> you do you. Yeah. You do you. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's what so, my boss tells me. So, Parker, I have a second mm-hmm. question. I can't decide which one of these two I'm going to ask you next. So I'll just go with on the Hardy Boys. All of these guest stars, and I have my favorites. I really love Bernie Taupin, and uh, Mm. I really love when Valerie Bertinelli was on there. But what was your favorite uh, guest star? Or maybe you have more than one. Who are your favorite guest stars, like I say? Well, Joseph Cotton is one of them. Joe, no, maybe a lot of people won't know Joseph Cotton unless they, unless they know Orson Welles and you know and his body of work and his players and all that. But and uh, Ray Milland was another one who was was a big star, got an Academy Award for Lost Weekend in the fifties, I think. And I would sit around with them, you know, in the in the ten days or, or two weeks sometimes for episodes, and just pick their brains about what Hollywood was like in the thirties and forties and fifties. What was the studio system? What were their, what was it so like socially? And they tell me all the stories about Hearst Castle and the parties up there, and and just the way the way it all worked, how they got their breaks, and all that. You know, sitting in at the studios where all that that all took place was magical you know a lot of that's all broken up now it's, it's not around but i got to to kind of get a sense of all that well, i mean even when we were doing the hardy boys sean and i we each had these little bungalows right near our sound stage and the bungalow between us was alfred hitchcock's and he'd come and go and we had lunch with him on occasion and and so all of that really old school that kind Hollywood of ties into history some mm-hmm. other episodes we We've had, and this comes up a we lot. We're just talking about old Hollywood mm-hmm. because Patrick Cassidy, I'm sorry, Ryan Cassidy has a book called James Cagney Was My Babysitter. And we were just oh. speaking of old Hollywood and James Cagney and mm-hmm. all of that old Hollywood stuff that we all know and love. And, and for you to even mention those people as your favorite stars that that touches me because a lot of people don't connect to old Hollywood like mm-hmm. that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I kind of grown up watching those movies when I was really little. And yeah, so it was it was the the old Hollywood people that would come in and do little turns and then it was like Valerie coming in. They were A you know, we would get people whose careers were just starting. Right. You know, Melanie Griffith came in and did an episode right in the beginning of her career. Mm-hmm. And Tippy was on the set, you know, to kind of make sure, you know, she had everything she needed and that she was okay. But they were young. I mean, you know, it was it was a it was a place that really young people could come and do work in a show that was wasn't gonna be violent and it wasn't gonna be get gross or you know, it was it was a nice intro for people. I was reading the list and it seems like if they were on TV were or about to go on TV, they were on the Hardy Boys. It's a long list of people. 
who had yeah. their beginning, yeah. you know, first role or maybe third or fourth role, they were on the Hardy Boys. And Doris and I had yeah. a story about recording the Hardy Boys back then in those days. <laughs> oh, yeah. We used to, <laughs> it's so funny. We used to take our little cassette player and put our microphone by our TV yep. before VCR, before we could afford a VCR. Yeah. And we would record the Hardy Boys. And I still have my, my little cassette recording. She still does. I lost yeah. mine, but she's afraid to play it because it might crumble. It might crumble. And I was living by the airport, yeah. so I would get mad because every time I would try to record the Hardy Boys, the plane would go over and I'd tell my mom, can you please call <laughs> no. the airport and tell them not to fly over our house when the Hardy Boys is on? And I would get mad because my younger brothers would burst into yeah. the room and scream real loud. Yeah. Just to interrupt uh, my recording it, of the Hardy Boys. It was the only way we could record back then, so that was really serious. <laughs> Sunday night yeah, was serious. Yeah. Well, it kept me out of Sunday night church. <laughs> so, oh. The Hardy Boys was my church. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Well, that kind of leads me right into my third question. So yeah. you, you've recently, and I have mine right here with me, you sold scripts, your Hardy Boys and some uh, Baywatch scripts. And I'm wondering, yep. I have Acapulco Spies, and I love that you signed it and you sent such great package with it, and I appreciate that. Yeah. But what, uh, what prompted you to start selling your scripts? I have saved every script I've ever done, and they've been in storage for decades, going <laughs> all the way back. Every script, every project I've ever been in. Even from Gunsmoke? Even from Gunsmoke. Wow. All the way back. That's and when way I did back. guest spots and I was young, Streets of San Francisco or Hotel or. Uh, whatever shows that I was doing, I just always kept the scripts. Um, I'm That's not amazing. sure why. I, I, it wasn't that I expected to have a lot of scripts. I just, I just did. You know, I just, they just kind of went in the closet, went in the box. But so they were all in storage, and they'd been in storage for 30, 40 years. And during the pandemic, there was nothing to do. And so I thought, okay, it's time for me to get rid of the storage. You know, I've moved many times. Uh, I've had you know a lot of different places I've lived. It, it seems every time I I move, I end up with, with a whole other bunch of stuff that goes in storage. So I started going through all my storage and I found all these scripts. And people have asked me over the years, you know, do you have any scripts? Do you have any, any memorabilia? And I've always just not wanted to deal with it. But then I thought during the pandemic, I'm going to find homes for these scripts. I've been approached many times by collecting groups or, or people who have memorabilia, you know, marketing companies and they, they, they buy scripts and then they sell them or they put them on eBay. And I didn't want it to go that way. And one, one friend of mine who has a very successful company said, well, what you should do is you should copy the scripts, keep the originals and you can keep making copies and just sell the copies. And I was kind of horrified by that because that's not the intention. The intention is to put the real script in the hands of people that love the show, not a copy. My script is full of my notes, you know, you know, where I had my coffee cup on top of it or, where, you know, I was in the, in the back of my bag as I'm going back and forth to the set. It was to sell something real from that time in that show. So that's what I did. And I, the best part of it was, I mean, frankly, it, it's been a lot more of a hassle than if I just let, given them to a, an auction house, but it's been such fun communicating like with you Doris back and forth about what script and which one did you like and what do you think you were interested in and, and he sending you a picture of the scripts you could actually see it and 
but getting to know people a little bit and hearing their stories and their connections with the show gave me a connection to the, an, the audience that I've never had. I don't particularly like doing theater because it's just grueling. And as much as I love the work, I don't do it for applause. I do it because I love the work. I'm not doing it to affect an audience. I'm doing it because the, the work means something to me. And so I haven't had that connection with the audience through most of my 56 years or whatever I've been doing. And doing this, placing these scripts has given me a sense of that. It's been really great. It was, it's been a here. real you want that connection, bonus yeah. in, in this, in these tough years that that actually was part of what my last couple of years experience has been was placing these scripts, communicating with people, talking to people and, and hearing about them. And it's been great. It's been a really, really big gift to me. Well, that is cool, Parker, because you mentioned something, memorabilia and what means something to the people. And Cindy and I always talk about we have boxes of memorabilia. Mm -hmm. And I've carried this stuff with me, as you did, for the last 40-some-odd years. Mm -hmm. I have tons of Hardy Boys stuff, my my Hardy Boys fan club, all of my Tiger (laughs) Beat magazines, tons of stuff. And I, my life wasn't complete until I got the Parker package, as I like to call oh. it. But oh. and then I look at it, and I'm like, we're all connected now. And this is going to always be something that I have that was on the set of the Hardy Boys. And I really, yeah. really appreciate it. I'm so and glad I'm you gonna, feel that way. That, that's the point. The point is that was for that period of time, that was my life. That's what I was focused on solely. That was a, a part of my life. And so that going out feels wonderful. It feels really nice. It's really nice you, to me. You yeah, in the hands that. of somebody who That's really... Intention. Yeah, and you appreciate it too when you get it. That you know that we're going to yeah. take care of it if somebody really yeah. wants to get it. Like I do. I, I do. <laughs> I do. It won't, you know, if something happens to me, then I, someone's not going to go, oh, look at all this old stuff. <laughs> I know, I know their place somewhere and someone will enjoy it and someone will pass it on in some way that will have its own life, its own journey. That's really cool. Well, I'm glad you did that. It yeah. does mean something. Doris talks about it all the yeah. time. Yeah, mm. I do. And I brought it with today. I haven't shown it to anyone. Anyone. No, we haven't seen it yet. I have never, ever, ever, ever shown it to anyone because that's how special it was to me. But I brought it today, mm. and I'm going to show it to to my co-hosts. And Dame, you can Great. see it next time you're in the studio. Yep. yep. Okay. Great. Well, I do have another quick question that I forgot to ask earlier. Can you share yeah. your lunch with Alfred Hitchcock with us? Your lunch? <laughs> what did you have for lunch? Well, he, he had well, lunch with Alfred. Yeah. Yeah, so I was just it, wondering it, it, if you could... They, I don't know why, uh, you know, there's a regular commissary you could go for lunch at the Universal, the studio that everyone would go to. And then there was the executive uh, lunchroom commissary that was a special place. And that was the, the head of the studio, Wasserman and Sid Scheinberg and all these guys, the heads of, that, of the studio then and all the top, you know, producers and people like, you know, Hitchcock would be there. And I don't know why, but they would include Sean and I. <laughs> In those lunches and you know we're kids you know i mean we're really kids and somehow it would end up that like sean and i would be on either side of hitchcock <laughs> wow and my, my first the, the memory that really stuck with me was after i sat down hitchcock was there and i'm sitting looking around this table going whoa whoa 
why, why am I here? You're taking all that uh, in. And he, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he, mm-hmm. he turned to me and, you know, in, in his Hitchcock condescending way said, and who are you? <laughs> I can imagine that. I would have slid under the table. I think it would have scared me. Yeah, intimidating. Yeah, it would, it, yeah, totally. And it summed up everything. <laughs> it, it summed up everything. And and I didn't have an answer for it. I, I was going to well, say, what's your well, answer? Well, <laughs> Did you get your name out, or you couldn't say anything? Well, you could have. I don't know. I think I I think I asked him something like if the food was any good or something. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. I I think at that point I would have been confused and said, "I'm Frank Stevenson," or you know, something. You know, because are you Frank Cardi? I'm just a fan. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just a fan, Mr. Hitchcock. That's why I'm here. I'm just a fan. Yeah, I, I snuck into the back door with my fake um, ID, my fake pass. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. No, I mean, we—I definitely felt like I didn't belong there most of the time. But that was the fun of it because it was the—it was you know there were forty shows being filmed there. It was really busy. The tour was just starting. Those trams were just beginning to go through the studios. And yeah. while we were making the Hardy Boys, the announcement came down that from now on all filming would stop when the trams came through. Before they would stop for filming to not disrupt filming, then then it was changed that when the trams came through, you had to stop filming to not disrupt the trams because the trams were bringing in more money than all studio production combined. Really? <laughs> wow! Wow! Yeah, you know, interesting. So everything fact. Was, yeah, everything was changing. You know, it was all shifting and changing. Because Sean and I were blessed that we really got to kind of run around the set and be in that studio during that time. It was really I can't imagine. Time. Yeah, that was pretty cool. But in our first season, we did an episode on the characters of Sean. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. and the more research we did, um, I was just in awe of like the stars. You know, I just kept saying star studded and, you know. And the Hardy Boys, I, yeah. Well, I, well, not just the Hardy Boys, but yeah. everything that Sean you know, played a character in and especially Mm. what once upon a Texas train. But then when I'm looking through your stuff, you like just blew Sean out of the water. I mean, the actors that you were with, you know, Sam Elliott and Burt Reynolds. Mm. And I mean, I I can go on and on, but these guys are telling me to move on. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) But I mean, how fortunate, like you said, with, you know, your launches and the people you were around, but I mean, all the other actors that you got to, you know, be with every day or, you know, during the time of, you know, performing um, the the shows. And um, what did you do with um, Sam Elliott? Wasn't that? The um, lifeguard. Yeah, the lifeguard and stuff. Yeah, I mean, lifeguard. how cool, you know, yeah. and then with Burt Reynolds on. No, well, Burt Reynolds directed the Alfred Hitchcock's um, episode, yeah. didn't he? Yeah, he did. And that. Martin Sheen and Robbie yeah, Benson. Martin Sheen, yeah, Martin Sheen, yeah, and Robbie well, Benson. Uh, that was hilarious. <laughs> well, speaking of lifeguard, I think that's mm-hmm. one reason they tried you out for Baywatch because you had been on that show with Sam Elliott. Yeah, yeah. Isn't well, that funny? yeah. They said, you know, we just, we just, you just seem like you could play a lifeguard, and I know they'd seen <laughs> lifeguard. <laughs> well, that yeah. Hair? Yeah. <laughs> so, so it was sort of like, you know, I mean, you know, I was an East Coast preppy kid. And that that was fine, but I'm I'm not I am still not you know a California kind of beach guy, and so when they announced that, well, we just think you could you know be so credible as a lifeguard, I'm thinking, okay, <laughs> you saw lifeguard, you Good saw acting. me in red trunks yeah. standing to Sam, yeah, okay, yeah. that's one, fine. One thing leads to another. I love yeah. Sam Elliott 
I mean, all my life. And oh my God, who doesn't? Who doesn't love? Who doesn't? Who doesn't love, love Sam Elliott? Oh, but um, when yeah. I was little, I remember I I didn't see that movie, and then I was just doing more research, and it was like, oh yeah, I remember now. I wanted to see Lifeguard because the guy mm. from the shower and Sam Elliott. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but connected yeah. in one way or another, right? right? It's always a connection. We we do this thing where we connect everything, and it seems like every week when we record our podcast, somebody we're talking about was on Alfred Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you did Alfred, Sean did Alfred, did David? Listen David to me, yeah, David, David did. David, David we did, did an episode yeah. on Sean and David mm-hmm. together, and we found out that David yeah. did it. So. That is wow. so cool to me that that's yeah. a connection. Well, and not just mm. Alfred Hitchcock, Murder She Wrote, yes. um, Metlock. Um, yeah, those yeah. were the shows going around those days. Yeah. You know, that was yeah. the uh, you know the, right. the, the yeah. shows to be on. Yeah. yeah, and then I think you and David both did Gunsmoke, and yeah, so there's always a connection with a lot of these shows. But when I started yeah. looking at everything, I'm like, I did see him on Bull. I did see him on Judging Amy. I did, you know. <laughs> and so I tried to go back just to, you know, like refamiliarize myself to, you know, some of them and then listen to a lot of your interviews. But like I said, I just got, got, um, um, what was I going to say? Just, you know, just like in all of all of the actors that y- you have been around. Yeah. But it sounds like you were um, in awe you know, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah well, I, I was. Yeah, yeah. I, I really was. I mean, even on that Alfred Hitchcock episode, sitting around and hanging with Martin Sheen, and Martin was telling me about when he had his heart attack in the Philippines doing Apocalypse Now, wow. and they pulled him off the bus, and he was laying in the grass, holding onto the <gasps> grass, looking up at the sky, you know, wondering, am I going to make it? Am I going to make it? Am I going to make it? You know? Wow. And I mean, so there's something about when you're working together especially with interesting kind of people that really care about the work, you get close really quickly. It's almost an instant mutuality. Family. You know, it, it's a family. how yeah. this turns out will affect everybody. So everybody really puts their heart into it. And you, you get the chance, you get the chance to kind of get a sense of what is this journey going to be like? You go to acting classes and they're, they're helping you learn how to, you know, hit your mark and find what, interesting ways to do the character but no one's saying you're going to hit this trial you're going to hit this challenge or this question how far are you willing to go you know how much you're going to play politics and what happens when it gets dark and what happens you know i mean no one helps you deal with like you know david and his fame dealing with no one's saying let let me talk to you about what fame is going to be like but when i worked with bert i talked with bert a lot about stuff like that and he was remarkable that he would say, I once said to him, you know, you, you've had a career like, like, like Cary Grant. You've been number one box office for 11 years. I think it was 11 years in a row. And how have you done this? How have you maintained that? And he said, there are a lot of guys that are better looking, more talented than you or I, but they didn't hang in there. And basically what he was saying is this is a, this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. So do your work, hang in there. You're going to get breaks and you're going to have disappointments. But it, he, he helped lay out what a lot of people did with me. They weren't trying to be a mentor. And I guess that's what I did on Greenhouse. I just wanted to help. I wanted to 
help ease people's way in the part that no one else is going to share with them really invaluable that those 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 war horses that we got to work with would drop information to us kindly and gently about what we might run into and how we might deal with that yeah that's great well i think you and dame have that in common because she's been a teacher for 30 years now i believe and i think she has some questions for you as well sure yeah you started out studying for you know architecture in princeton but yeah. um, I, I realized that your mom was very supportive. And at first, your dad was kind of reluctant. But my yeah. Yeah. my question goes into photography because that's one of your hobbies and something that you love to do. I know that you're talented that way. I know at an early age that I started at the same age as you, and I would start taking you know photos for weddings. I mean, for people to trust me oh. at such a young yeah. age was, was amazing. And we both liked taking pictures of weddings and and something that we see that is beautiful because life's so hard, but photography will catch something extra special for us. Um, I read that you love Italy because of the food, but also because of the photography that you could do when you were there. Um, You like that you could grab those type of pictures. And you said that if someone is moved in any way by your images or your photographs, then it worked. And one of the pictures that I just love that you took, it's the cross in the rain and mm. it's under landscape. And that cross is an example of wanting to go on a road trip and seeing something and catching that. And for that one instant, you felt like you saw something special. So something special by taking that out in photography is amazing. And you even have the Ten Commandments for the great travel photos and I really look closely into those and you're right so if I go on trips I need to travel light I need to shoot quickly for something because now with digital cameras we can take as many as we want and we can also erase as many as we want well on my phone I have 300,000 because it is kind of an addiction wow oh yeah Yeah. good for you yeah Yeah. and I actually I actually printed out your 10 commandments (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah, I have those too. And I, I have those to look at because I'm a photographer besides just being a teacher. Um, there's something in photography that is special to us. So my question is, can you let others know why photography is something that you love, especially if I missed a point? I know you have something online called Shadow Works. Am I yeah. correct? Yeah, Shadow Works. Yeah. I put that up years ago, maybe seven, eight okay. years ago. and. And that's a good kind of representation of, of what of the more of the studio stuff I was doing. But it also, as you, as you mentioned, it had some landscape and some architecture and some portraits. And, and I was doing some headshots for people, but I don't really shoot headshots because headshots are, you know, we usually as actors, we just want something that makes us look good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we just want to look good. We don't care if it's interesting. We just want to look good. And that's not what interests me. What interests me is, is, is hopefully is, a flattering presentation of someone because we all deserve that There's enough enough hard shots we get so but more than just something flattering something meaningful yes so so the shadow works is a mixture of stuff my instagram which started as only photography quickly morphed into lots of other things just because of life but there's yes. a lot of stuff on my instagram that's much more current and more what i'm shooting now okay, good specifically because of what you just described to carry around a 35 millimeter Nikon or a Hasselblad or whatever, whatever you're shooting 
and you got to turn it on. You got to lift it up. You got to you got to make sure the lights right and get the focus going, even if it's all the yeah. focus. All that. By the time you go to take that shot, which is fine in the studio when everything's being pre lit and orga- organized and controlled, but once mm-hmm. you step out into kind of a more of a street photography setup where you're just the kind architecture. of architecture. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. The architecture. It's a matter of light, really. Yeah. And so you can wait for the light or look for the light. But I shoot just by default most of the time now with my phone, like you described, because see, yeah. I can raise it and shoot. I see something, I can shoot it. I don't even need mm-hmm. to look. Look, I, I just I can catch it right away. And I did the, the second line event for Prince's funeral in New Orleans a couple years ago uh, with a small handheld camera, and those became a show in New Orleans that that sold out and was really rewarding for me. They were big images, four feet by six feet. And they were, mm-hmm. they had all the energy and grief and celebration and ethnic mix, cultural, financial mix of all those people for that, you know, six hour March. And that's where the photography becomes something else. It's not a pretty picture anymore. It's if you walk in a room, and I have this when I go to museums, I can walk through a museum, nice, nice, nice. And I'll turn the corner. I go, oh, and it takes my breath away. Something takes yeah. my breath away. And it's a combination of composition and color and format. And, and it stops you. It moves you because it connects to you. And that's what I look for. That's what I, that's what I hunt for when I shoot. I'm always looking for something that will. Uh, that cross you mentioned, uh, a lot of people yeah. respond to that. And more than I ever thought, that happened because I was driving across Oklahoma. Uh-huh. And a storm came. Mm-hmm. And and it was bad. It was really dark and the rain was overwhelming. And then it turned to hail and all the cars kind of dove in under the overpasses, which I didn't notice what people did. But and it was just me. And and, uh, oh, and and as it started to lighten a little bit, I kind of pulled the car out and there was a quick kind of clearing. And there in that little clearing through the, the hail clouds and everything that was coming down was that cross. And that oh. shot is to my windshield, the windshield wipers at the bottom of that frame. And that was, that was, that's the first thing I saw after hiding under that overpass, thinking it was going to shatter my windshield. Well, that's and God I'm, saying I'm, he was protecting you. Well, it, it says all kinds of things. And I, mm-hmm. I'm not particularly, I'm, I'm spiritual, but not particularly religious. I was raised Episcopalian, mm-hmm. but I, I don't go to church every day. I, my focus is kind of shifted into other, other things, but yeah. But that does say something that's, that, that moments happen and those moments can be miraculous and, and bad things can happen out of nowhere that are, yeah you know, devastating. But those, those, those surprises are, are kind of often what I find my photography now is around. It's that or portraits. Yeah. And it, what's really neat is when somebody looks at a picture, it's different. What they see is different than somebody mm-hmm. else. What I took from it may be different than what you took from it. So it's neat to actually be talking to you right now and knowing what you saw. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I don't, you know, I don't title most of my pictures what mm-hmm. it was practically. I okay. want it. I want people to have their own experience of that, whatever they see. And if it moves them for whatever reason, that's what I'm after. That's awesome. Yeah. That was definitely an eye catcher when I was looking at your yeah. um, photos. And oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Beautiful. Yeah, like I said, I knew Dame was going to be talking more about your photography, so I, I saved all that for her. But it is very common that we pull over in the in the um, overpasses oh, yeah. Yeah. when it's pouring rain well, or hail. Or a tornado, or, too. Or for ta- <laughs> tornadoes. Absolutely. I live in yeah. it. 
Yeah. This is my home, yeah. Oklahoma, you know, so oh, yeah, I you're in Tornado Alley. Talking about. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I actually have another question for you when we get done talking about photography. Oh yeah, Parker, I was going to tell you, I, I do photography too on the side and there were a couple pictures that I really loved that I took. I like to take sunset pictures for some reason. And I was mm-hmm. in high school and I was mm-hmm. at the amusement park one day and all of a sudden this beautiful sunset was there, but silhouette of the roller coaster in front of it was so cool. I took mm. this picture and I just love it. And I, you don't know at the time when you take it because some pictures you take and you like and you don't like, but this picture just turned out great of this sunset at the park and it just got that roller coaster silhouette. And I don't know, I just love that picture ever since I took that. And then my second favorite picture was when I was in Hawaii. And of course, many people have taken that picture of the Waikiki coastline with Diamond Head in the background and... I just took a great picture of that one day, and I just love that one. So photography Mm. I love also, but just kind of a side thing I will try to capture once in a while, but I love it. I think everybody has a little bit of loving photography in them. I grew up really wanting to be a photographer, and I remember buying my first 35 millimeter when I was in high school, and I joined Mm. the film and camera club, and I never got extremely good at it. But I was that person, too. You take that picture and that really good one, and you know that it means something and it stands out. And and like you guys are saying now with the, with the cell phones, you oh, can it's easier now to your heart's content. And I remember sharing some pictures, and people are like, oh, are you a photographer? Nope. I got lucky. Nope. Because I know sometimes I can see something. And the littlest caterpillar or something. And back then was all film, right? We had to get our film developed, so we had to wait for this picture to show up. Yeah. It was like a present coming in. Yeah. (laughs) We couldn't wait to open our present. Go to the photo mark. But, Parker, (laughs) I wanted to ask you a question real quick. Actually, it's not a question. It's more of a comment. The the Jetty, the book you uh, photographed the cover for, I think that is just beautiful. It's... Mm -hmm. uh, it's, yeah. it's a beach scene. And here, I'll read it real quick. It says, Parker Stevenson photographs Christy Lee Rogers for the book cover of the Jetty. And it's just a, a very beautiful ocean scene, a lady walking out into the ocean. And then there's like a, a kind of a cloudy sky. And I just, I don't know if you remember it, but I wanted to compliment you and tell you I really love that photograph oh thanks well i really appreciate that because christy herself is an astounding photographer i first met her because i saw her work up in a a printing lab in la and i wanted to get a headshot from her and and she said no i don't do headshots but she said but if you'll go underwater and pose underwater for me i'll do your headshot (laughs) (laughs) underwater because her a lot of her work is is underwater she's above water but she shoots figures and people with with one light very dramatically where it's very uh caravaggio like the like you know the renaissance they're super dramatic images and so i did that for her but by the time we got done after three hours at the bottom of my swimming pool i didn't feel like doing a headshot (laughs) so i i then i then called the favor back in when i was shooting that book cover and she originally grew up in Hawaii. She, she's comfortable with the water. She's out on this rock jetty, and there were big waves. And at one point, she even got knocked off the jetty and got back up. Then in this wet, long gown with that 
sunlight setting behind her. And that became a series of maybe 20 images from which that one shot was chosen for the book cover. The, the editor publisher finally chose that one image. I had others that I actually liked better, but they were all really beautiful. That one is probably the most uh, traditional. We're really good friends. We stay in touch. And, and you should look up her work online and people in your in your audience, Christy okay. Lee Rogers, amazing stuff. It's C-H-R-I-S-T-Y. You'll see her work and it, you'll, you'll be spellbound. Yeah, what nice words you have to say for. Well, my second question, it's been mentioned that you and Sean had chemistry from the beginning. In a different interview, you said that you liked his dry humor. Um, do you have any funny stories or memories of being on the set together? You mentioned one before, but anything funny? Yeah, I, I mean, right from the beginning. I mean, you know, Sean and I were from different universes when we yeah. when we first met. We came together, but what we did have was there was just, <laughs> just it's 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 an appreciation for the absurd or the unusual or the silly or I, I don't know what it is, but we really enjoy each other's company. We just enjoy the way we we talk to each other and the things we say. And just from the beginning, that's what made us like brothers. We had connection, and I think that's. That's why we were both cast and cast together. And I think it was probably a, an addition for the show that we had a comfortable, fun relationship always. And that's why we're still really close. I, I consider him a brother. And we I think are really were, close. And weren't you kind of a stability for him also while he was doing his touring and singing and all that? I read somewhere that you were kind of a grounding I, I, well, that, for that, him. That's a nice I thought. I don't think that's probably true. <laughs> because, uh, you know, he would he would work his five days on the show and we'd finish off mm -hmm. at 10, 11, 12, whatever. And he'd run out of there and he'd fly off to two cities over the weekend and do his big concerts and fly back in the middle, you know, at three in the morning Monday and go to work on the Hardy Boys. So wow. I wasn't really there as a mentor for him, you know, on the set. I was with him all the time for three years you know, five days a week. But once weekends came, you know, he had his managers and his mom and his brother and other people mm -hmm. to kind of, you know, guide him through all that. I, I think that's probably not. But it's I think he did. things they wrote, but didn't really have a lot of validity. Well, during the week with the filming. He yeah. Was, yeah. He had yeah. Him. I mean, you know, I mean, I think he probably looked up to me just because I was older. I think I'm just six, six but, years uh, older. Wow. It's more, it's more than I realized. Okay. But because of that, you know, I think he probably was was glad that I was there because maybe I'd be a little more solid, you know, than someone else that might have been running the around craziness? partying all the time. Us crazy girls screaming, yes. <laughs> hey, we yeah. didn't yeah. just scream over Sean. We, hey, Parker, you were on my wall as well. Yeah, you're on my wall too. Oh, my wall, wall, Parker. <laughs> thank you. I, I have four of your dolls. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, cool. Dirty yeah. boys. Yeah, yeah, I actually read that both of you guys were romantics, but in a different way. It said, Parker is a little more private than Sean. He believes in keeping his personal life personal. And he's not very affectionate in public. But Sean's affectionate all the time. And he doesn't mind letting the world know how he feels about someone special. Of what course, this is old. Are you funny. reading from Tiger Beat? Tiger Beat. 1978? Like, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> this had to be back in 78 or 79. Yep. I know, but I thought that was so cute. <laughs> I think that's kind of cute, too. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking along that note, I was just thinking yeah. about how he fell in love with his wife, and it was because of her cooking. It was um, chicken noodle soup, and that really drew you in. So, sh so she even has a show. Speaking of yeah. romance. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And that is true. That was not in, in Tiger Beat. That is true. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is now. Yeah, this she borrowed a giant cooking pot from me. 
And so I loaned it to her. And two days later, she came back with a huge thing of soup. And I tasted the soup. Yeah, uh, and I didn't know anything about her, but I tasted the soup. And I had never tasted anything <laughs> like that. And that, that is my experience with her food. And she's been, you know, a, an amazing chef for, I don't know, well over 30 years. She's worked Food Network for 15 years. She was head chef at Saturday Night Live and Morgan Stanley. She's a corporate. She's had restaurants. She's worked for major celebs. And sports figures. For, she was like Derek Jeter's chef for seven years. The Captain wow. Yankees. I mean, she really loves what she does, and and she doesn't make a big fuss out of it when she does it. But when what comes out is more than the sum of its parts. I it's watch amazing. her videos. She does it yeah. all the time. Oh, you did. Okay, yeah. good. Well, I hope my turkey oh. club sandwich comes out as good as the one she made. <laughs> Parker, yeah, you, that was really good. We're going on and on about her, but you haven't said her name. Her name, her name is Lisa Schoen. Oh, Lisa yeah. Schoen. Okay. She goes by Chef, by Chef by Day on Instagram and Facebook and and uh, TikTok and all that stuff. And we did videos, I think, which was being referred to as during the pandemic. Yes, we watched all the videos. She yes. was still working for her clients. And during the, the quarantine period, we moved in with them. And I was really bored, out of my mind. <laughs> and mm. so I started filming her with my phone, just because. Yep. And then that Cute. started to turn into a thing, and then it turned into more of a thing, and, and we did over 200 videos. And she would time. cook, and you would taste and, test. <laughs> yeah, I would, you're, I'd taste you're test. the it taster. Reminded me of years ago, when I was a kid, I would watch a show called The Soupy Sales Show. Yeah, and I remember. Puppet, yes. And remember that yes. the arm of the puppet would come into the camera, and it would be White Fang <laughs> or Black Tooth, yes. whoever it was. And, and then he would talk to it, and then the hand would go back up. Well, I became that hand that would take the food and eat it. And then, and then after doing that for a while, then she got frustrated that I was never on camera. So then she would make me come around and eat it. Yes. And then, and it just kind of, I don't know, became, it just it was became funny. a thing. And it was yeah. really How fun. much it weight was... did you gain over, over the pandemic doing this? Being the yeah, man? yeah, it was challenging. Yeah, it was challenging. This kind of reminds me of Rachel Ray and her husband, you know, because yeah. during the pandemic, they ended up working together. And, um, he oh, was, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He um, actually produced her show and then was like helping her out a lot and taste testing. And then it got to the point where he was making um, cocktails to go with her entrees. And yeah, so it was pretty nice. fun. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't know he was yeah, like an fun. attorney and a rock star and, you know, the stuff you learn from, you know, cooking shows, I'd say. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it, that was really, that was a nice experience for us. I mean, Look, these have been really hard years for everybody. Right. But that was that was a plus for me. I mean, I really, you know, was with, with Lisa all that time. And we yeah. were she she deals with lupus, so she had to be careful and that's why we kept our quarantine really strict. And Aww. but I got all that time with her and it was wonderful. Yeah. Cut through social like media stuff a bit. No, it was really nice. Yes. I just want to switch gears real quick and focus back on architecture, which we haven't asked you yet. You went to school for that. Mm -hmm. So what yeah. was the, how did you get into it? How did you get out of it? What was that story with the architecture? The architecture thing, just from the time I could think, I was fascinated by building and by, by spaces, architectural spaces, you know, but it was Legos or, or there were other blocks that I had growing up as a kid. I was just always building stuff. And I liked the, the concept of how do you create a space? And and even in architecture school, the, the highlight for me was when you build a model of something and then I'd get down at the level of the table and look into that model and try to imagine, okay, what's this experience going to be like going in? Like coming from this side, 
ceiling being that height and, and going from that space to that space, all of that spatial awareness and what that can be, which is the same thing in photography. It's, it's yeah. light and composition and it's angles and it's color and it's that's architecture. And so I always, I was sure I was always going to be an architect. I was, I was only acting to get independence and, and have some money yeah. and hopefully, your, you know, your dad wanted some, you to do that. Yeah. Yeah. My dad, my dad said to me, yeah, you're getting the false mm-hmm. sense of the value of the dollar when I started to work because he was concerned that money was coming in and I was booking jobs and, and I wasn't appreciating how hard it is to actually make a living. So I was always sure I was going to be an architect and it was only lifeguard which I left yeah. school for three weeks for to go out and do just to pick up some bucks that that director, um, Daniel Petrie, who had gotten an Academy Award for Raisin in the Sun with Sidney Poitier. Oh, I um, love that he, movie. That's mm-hmm. a beautiful movie. And, and that director had such a gentle touch as a director. I'd never experienced that. And that yeah. just made everything easy and natural. And suddenly I went back to school. And that sat with me for the next year and a half. What was that? That's not what I thought acting was. What was that whole experience? And by the time I then graduated, I didn't want to do architecture anymore because a lot of my friends that had graduated and then go on finish graduate school couldn't get work because the, the whole market was a disaster. And I, so I had enrolled at NYU in the business program when the Hardy Boys came up. And I thought, well, do I learn about money and business or do I go to work? And I said, I'll go to work. Yeah. And the, and that's that's when I made that choice to act and not do something else, whatever that was going to be. Yeah. Do you still think about architecture, or I know it's not a career anymore. Um, but... It's still it not as a career, but it's very much you know. Party. Uh, like I, I was invited to go shoot Richard Myers, uh City Hall Public Library Law Court Complex. It's like a full square by block by two block complex in the Netherlands, and that's. He did the Getty here in Los Angeles, his famous American architect. And I studied with him at Princeton. I did my independent work as a senior on him. So it's always that those ideas and those experiences are, are in everything I do. They're in my photography, they're in my acting, they're in my directing for mm-hmm. sure. Looking through a camera, that's all about how, to, how what feels right. Mm-hmm. As the audience, what feels right. To, what looks right, yeah. What, what looks right and feels about. right. Yeah. The image. Yeah. Education yeah. is never wasted. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's not. And and as people, I hear people question, you know, the value of, you know, going to college and the cost of it. And it is exorbitant and it's time consuming. But it's it's about being exposed to different things that might be something you click with. And if you click yeah. with it and then you go that direction, you still might not quite click with that, but it will tip you somewhere else. And at some point, all those things you're experiencing will be valuable in whatever you do. And specifically yeah. in what your experience of life on a day-to-day basis is. What do you see? What do you experience? What are you open to? What do you understand? All those ideas. It's like anyway, that six my, degrees. It, yeah. And there's your six degrees back to teaching and <laughs> school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's what I do also. Teaching and photography. Good. I, I, I hope. I hope. I mean, I, I feel like if people want to know me, if they want to understand at all what I'm about, it's my yeah. photography, not my not my acting, mm-hmm. and not even my directing, because my directing, awesome. I'm directing someone else's script, someone else's project. I had one project that really was from me. It was called um, Avalon Adventures of the Abyss, mm-hmm. which was a two-hour movie, backdoor pilot, and that was born out of uh, me and something I wanted to do 
and the ideas of it. And it wasn't exactly what I'd had in mind. It got a little shifted over by the studio, but there's a lot in that that was me. And uh, that's really the only project I think that I've been involved in that represents me as much as my photography does. Photography, that's wonderful. Yeah, we want to share yep. something fun with you before we let you go, though. This goes, this is retro. Okay. Okay. This is retro back yep. to uh, Tiger Beat. You know how you have these things, these articles and these questionnaires and Tiger yep. Beat and things. And we mm. came across an article about your three wishes you had back then. Oh. So we just wanted to check in with you. And <laughs> now that it's the future, what happened with these three wishes? Do you remember what they were, first of all? No, but I, this, is a, this is a very funny question. This is I'm enjoying this because <laughs> I can't imagine what I would have said then or what they. Or, and I probably did say it. You know, it, I probably said other things too, but they selected this would be fun. Okay, well, I'll, I'll say the first one, and then the other girls can take okay. one. And the first one, you said, okay. "I'd like to own two homes: an apartment in New York City and a fabulous house on the beach in California." Oh, now I think yeah. you have a house in California on the beach. Yep. Yep. And, so I, and, okay. and, 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 and it sort of fell into, I was, you know, I've been here forever. <laughs> I never moved here. I just never, I never left my vacation. I stayed or something, <laughs> but there's so, so great about Los Angeles. There aren't many cities that you can actually be at that are amazing, wonderful cosmopolitan cities. And you're also at the ocean Rio. You can go to Rio. Yeah. Rio's fun. You know, Los Angeles, uh, San Francisco's not quite the same. New Orleans is not quite the same. It's not really on the ocean. You know, Miami, I guess. Hawaii. But, but it's, it, <laughs> it took me for Hawaii, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But it took me decades to realize, oh, I can be at the beach. <laughs> it's like it never yeah. occurred to me. So that my answer there presays that that actually is what really uh, makes this work for me, that I'm still here. And I really miss having a place in Manhattan or at least near Manhattan or out on Long Island somewhere. I really miss the East Coast. I had a place in Maine for years that, that uh, I thought I would, you know, just retire at and disappear at and spend the rest of my life at. That didn't quite work out that way. But I love New England. I love the East Coast and the architecture and the values and the art and music and just what that experience is there. So yeah. that was a really smart thing I said, and I hadn't quite... <laughs> you did half of it. <laughs> I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. So <laughs> Yeah. The second one, Parker, you said is, uh, I wish I could fly, not in an airplane, oh. but free like a bird. It would be beautiful to look down on the countryside. Well, we kind of figure you have a grown wings to start a flying, but have you done parasailing <laughs> yeah. or something yeah. like that? I did. In college, I did take soaring lessons, you know, in a plane without an engine. Oh, <laughs> gliders. Oh, you know, they the glider. tow you yeah, up. Yeah. One plane tows you up in the glider and then get up, you know, 10,000 feet or whatever. And then there's a knob, big red knob on the, on the dashboard. And you pull that knob and it releases the, the cable and you're alone <gasps> up there. Yeah. Oh, and, and I did exciting. that for about scary. six months. Yeah, it's, it was scary, but pretty amazing. And I did that for about six months. And, I, and that's probably about as close as I ever got to actually flying. Although being underwater, Scuba diving and stuff like that feels like you're flying a lot of the time. You know, you kind of swoop around and you're weightless. And so that, that's probably the closest I've gotten. But a follow-up question, too. Did you ever want to go to space? I did. When I was a kid, I wanted to be an astronaut. Oh, really? You know, during John Glenn and the Mercury missions and all of that. That's what I, that's kind of what I grew up on, watching those launches. Yeah, I uh, love that. Now, 
Nah, now I don't want to go. Not even those temporary 30 second up and down. No. You don't want to go with no, Jeff no, Bezos no. or whoever it is no. that's flying everybody. No, I don't. I, I, God bless them. Good for them. I'm glad someone's doing it. It's not for me. Not no. me either. either. For last wish. Oh, says, I'd love to go to China. The Orient has always intrigued me. It's just so fascinating. Did you make it to, as they called it in the 70s, the Orient? Yeah, that is kind of funny, isn't it? Right. Um, <laughs> no, I, I actually, I, I haven't. Um, I've been to Australia a couple of times and New Zealand a couple of times. Uh, but I've never, I've never been to Japan or, like, no, I've, I, I've never, I've never gone east like that. Uh, and for no particular reason, I mean, I actually w- would have loved it if a project had taken me there because you, then you go in with people that are actually making sure your housing's okay and how you yeah. get around and you meet people right away because they're with you. And, and, and that's a wonderful way to kind of discover a new, a new place. But I've never sort of taken that on myself to do. I, I'm, I'm so comfortable in Europe because of all those aesthetics, the art, painting, sculptures, architecture, it's just, you know, it's, 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 for me, it's, it's Nirvana. Yeah. It's just wonderful. So I, I, when I have an ability to go somewhere, I tend to go, go to Europe. Oh, okay. Cool. Well, you know, that's funny because some of your photos I looked at kind of looked like they Mm -hmm. were from the Orient. Huh? Yeah. The photography. And I saw the photography. You know, I, I, I do believe that there are certain aesthetic values that translate cultures whether it's asian or european western that you know we tend to think of you know japanese prints as really being different but that you know matisse was using them you know degas was using them i mean they were pulling all those aesthetics and compositions i think when proportions and composition are right it transcends all cultures it doesn't matter what culture you're experiencing it from it can affect you if it's correct and correct on some very primal basic way that that humans respond to visuals and what we see so i don't know what would have been (laughs) asian in my pictures but i'm sure those values are in there just because yeah Yeah, it was just one one particular picture but you know it's like a tree on a rock or something (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's there's trees um, on rocks in yeah, Orient. <laughs> yeah, do you know which one I'm yeah, talking no, about? Yeah, no, that 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 I know exactly. That tree is almost like a giant bonsai tree or something. That's oh, that's yeah. uh, that's Carmel, oh. Carmel by the sea. Oh, okay. the, they call it the Lone Pine. It's a known. It's a really kind of a well-known spot, but hitting the light at just the right moment, which is what that was for me, oh, ma- wow. made it kind of yeah. become something else. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, it was absolutely beautiful. Well, speaking of places you love to visit, you like to go back to Maine because you have yeah. good child memories. Yeah, I do. I, I spent all my summers up there on Mount Desert, which yeah. is where Acadia National Park is. My family, you know, had been going there for a couple of generations and every summer was up there. And then and my dad, you know, and mom spent summers up there as kids and generations going back. And then I ended up with a place on an island in Penobscot Bay that I had for maybe 20 years. And I just yeah, love, I love going up there and you take a ferry to get to it. And that's all mm-hmm. magical. And I, I miss that. I miss those. I miss my friends up there. I miss the, yeah. the, the experience of being on the Island. We'll get back. We have one here called the Sean and Parker answers to 40 intimate questions, but I am not going <laughs> to ask you 39 of the 40. Okay. 
Okay. God bless you. Oh, just, I owe you. I owe you 39 times. Oh, well, I'm going to take you up on that. And we get chicken noodle soup for everybody. Right. But, I mean, I'm just glancing at this and there's, it's hard to pick, but I'm just going to go with, how does it feel to see yourself on TV? Oh, that's intimate. That's a tiny I know, right? question. Right? Well, I guess we're a 15 year old girl. Yeah. There's like, there's that one or Parker, how come you never sang? I mean, and, so. And before, well, Sean did that. Before you answer, Parker, I just want to say real quick, you know, the way t- magazines were written back then, they were so innocent. Tiger beat and all that. We've had many discussion on previous episodes. And today, I don't know. Uh, if they had a, a teen magazine and they were asking the intimate question, it would be, how did you see yourself on TV? Or, yeah, that's not an intimate question. So I just wanted to say that real quick. I, well, I think, yeah. I think the, the way kids are, are, it's a little different than how we were as 15-year-old, 13-year-old girls. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I know. I was like trying to look through there, and I'm like, "Well, nothing really here is really intimate." So I just kind of randomly just <laughs> well, chose. Well, it's I, the intrigue, I, right? I can, yeah. want... I'll answer them backwards. Okay. So uh, why don't I sing? Because I don't. <laughs> That's why it's very simple. Good you, you don't want me singing. You, you no, don't want me singing. Me neither. <laughs> You don't want me singing. So that's why I don't sing. I'm doing everyone yeah. a big favor. Um, and the other one, you know, it's, it's seeing yourself is very bizarre and, and doesn't usually connect. It, it, it's unreal. It doesn't really connect, you know. And when I first saw myself, you know, in commercials or something, I, it didn't make any sense. I was just, you know, getting yeah. a job. And then when I did films, my first films in New York, I, I'd go. And I wouldn't go into the theater to watch, but I'd, I'd, I'd be across the street watching people come out to try to get a sense of, did they like it? Was the movie okay? <laughs> what are they saying? You know, but to see a film and your face is 40 feet tall is just, it's not you. It's something else up there because it's not you because you're sitting in the seat. You feel the armrests and the chair on your back. It's not you. It's something else. Yeah. And television falls somewhere in the middle. You know, it's... Uh, <sighs> It's very surreal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Sean talks about that with his kids. Like his kids don't understand. Yeah. Well, that's that's interesting then. though. Watching you know, it. like like you said, like it's it's not you, but in sense, I guess it isn't you. It's a character. Yeah, it isn't well, you, acting. and and yeah. it's it, it's the product of you know a hundred or two hundred or five hundred other people's work. Right. Yeah. But every, I mean, everyone's everyone's in there. Everyone's in there. The the cinematographers, the prop people, the makeup people, the directors, the writers, the yeah. editors, the studio, the marketing people. Everyone's shifting and making this thing, and we participate in that. Obviously, we have a part in that, but. You know, without the sound guy, where you'd be back yeah. in silent films. I mean, it, the whole thing is is a is a group effort. So yeah. it's not us. But it's, everybody sees it's you creating right. this. Right. Well, everyone sees you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's yeah. that's the. You know. And I read that you on the other yeah on the other side of it that you were a director like for Baywatch too. Yeah, yeah, Baywatch and Melrose Place and Models Inc. and Savannah and a lot. I did a bunch of spelling shows for a while and. Uh, Cool. And Baywatch was just so fun because I knew everybody. I knew the crew so well. I knew I just knew how how that all worked. How you go out in boats and shoot in the water and get it done quickly. How do you you know? That's how do you fun. deal with hauling equipment across the beach? You know, when you got all that stuff to yeah. get out there quickly. Just all of that was 
Were you scared of the sharks out there? Um, I wasn't. No, I wasn't. <laughs> no, no, no. That's never bothered me. I don't know. I, there are a lot of ways I could go, but I don't think that's one of them. <laughs> when I, um, you were saying surreal, like you can you watch it, but it's it's not really you. And I wanted to just say real yeah. quick, I think we're gonna all feel that next week when we play this back and edit and listen, because we we are here right now doing this and. We have never done a podcast before, none of us. And I had some experience just playing around in radio, but i never been a host of a radio show or anything. So it's going to be surreal listening back, knowing that all, well, all these people are listening. And mm. it's going to feel surreal that we have someone we grew up watching on TV right. and hung that eight by 10 glossy on our wall. And to this day, I still carry, I told these <laughs> ladies before I have my Hardy boys fan club membership card in the mm. original wallet that it was in the wow. day that I was when in high it. school and got it. And it's in the nightstand and it's been at every nightstand I've ever had since I was that age. So no matter where that's, I move or wonderful. what I do, I take that with me. Yeah. So wait, the question is, is yeah. it still active? <laughs> Did yours expire <laughs> yet? So, so this is so surreal. I'm not going to believe yeah, it. I have my Hardy Boys stuff too that we got. Everything was in yeah. all the pictures, everything. It was kind of like driving here today. I was just like, we're going to interview Parker. Yeah. You know, and then I, I text my sister going, I'm going to interview Parker. It's kind of full circle, <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, you have this you have this experience when you're younger, right? And then you get older, you learn things and you grow and everything. And to come back to it and to reminisce and, and really see how special it was back right, then. Right. I, I love mm. that. Yeah. It's, it's surreal. I'm it's telling surreal. you, I'm gonna when I have all and my it stays friends with you listening, yeah. they're gonna say, That's you. It does stay with you. You know, the experiences back then you just keep to heart. Well, yeah. I, yeah. I remember yeah. every bit, you know, the Hardy Boys and, yeah. like I said, everything you've been in. And I don't remember having an 8 by 10 glossy as much as the centerfolds on my wall. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, but back to that you didn't go watch yourself like on the screen and, and things, but you would stand outside to watch the people come out. Did you ever get mm -hmm. recognized? Not usually in those moments because I'd be across the street and I'd kind of you know, be turned sideways and, and I could see where people were going. And I, I just, you know, I was far enough away yeah. that I wouldn't get stopped there. But walking around New York, I'd get stopped because you're walking around New York. And I, I, I've never been comfortable in the subways or buses. So I just walk. I love walking in New York. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, it's, 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 it's really nothing. It's about a, it's about a minute a block. So if you have to go 40 yeah. blocks, well, walk a little over half an hour. Right. <laughs> yeah. Know? Everything's right there. So, and so people would sometimes stop me, but but people in New York, people in LA, people in most places are very chill. They're very cool, and if they say something, it's usually really sweet and it's mm -hmm. quick, and they just say thank you, love your work or something, right. and it's nice. And on you go. Question: The question I'd like to hear from you guys is how you guys all got together. Yes, very interesting. <laughs> we tried to summarize this as best we could, Sean. <laughs> so yes, Sean of course came out with shows again, so we decided to go. We live in the Chicago area. So we all went mm -hmm. to the same show and we met there. And then we did go see a show in Nashville also. And that's where we met Dame at. 
and we had a great time mm. and we hung out and we were just having discussions and we decided one day, you know what? There's not really a podcast out there about Sean. Hopefully we'll yeah. have you on again one day and we can continue our little discussion and figure out what was next on the Parker Stevenson list of adventures. Seems like you're you're like a friend, like an old buddy. It feels yeah, like right. we sat down and connected with someone we knew from high school or as yeah. as a kid and we're just catching up again. That's how comfortable yeah. you're making us feel. Yeah. Oh, well, and you always make. Hey, Parker, before you go, make sure to tell our listeners where they can find you. They can find me. uh, They can find me on Instagram, on Facebook, or uh, you can even write me on ShadowWorks, ParkerStevensonShadowWorks.com. My photography website is a link. You can write me there. And where can they follow your wife? Chef Lisa Schoen, S-C-H-O-E-N, Chef by Day. And she's on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Thank you from the bottom of our teen dream hearts. Keep on crushing. Always believe in magic. And have a peaceful, shantastic week. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and threads. And make sure to keep in touch with us on our email. Society at gmail.com The Sean Squad Society podcast, including past, present, and future versions, and its contents are owned and controlled by the Sean Squad Society. The views and opinions are solely those of the Sean Squad Society podcast. The Sean Squad Society is written and produced and recorded at the Borden Studios. We may think we are always right, but we will get something wrong from time to time. So we assume no responsibilities or errors of submissions of content. <laughs>